listening to audio from Oasis Church in Winter Haven, Florida. For more information about Oasis Church, please visit our website at www.oasischurchwh.org. And thanks so much for listening. Uh, my name's Janie, and um, I serve in um, kids check-in over there, youth on Wednesday, and do like the version notes, stuff like that on our system. And today I'll be reading um, Luke 11, or yeah, Luke 11, 37 through 54. While Jesus was speaking, a Pharisee asked to dine with him, so he went in and reclined at the table. The Pharisee was astonished to see that he did not first wash before dinner. And the Lord said to him, Now you Pharisees, cleanse the outside of the cup and of the dish, but inside are full of greed and wickedness. You fools, did not he who made the outside make the inside also? But give us alms those things that are within, and behold, everything is clean for you. But woe to you Pharisees, for you tithe mint and rue and every herb, and neglect justice and the love of God. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others." Woe to you, Pharisees, for you love the best seat in the synagogues and greetings in the marketplaces. Woe to you, for you are like unmarked graves, and people walk over them without knowing it. One of the lawyers answered him, Teacher, in saying these things, you insult us also. And he said, Woe to you, lawyers also, for you load people with burdens hard to bear, and you yourself do not touch the burdens with one of your fingers. Woe to you, for you build the tombs of the prophets whom your fathers killed. So you are witnesses, and you consent to the deeds of your fathers, for they killed them, and you build their tombs. Therefore, also the wisdom of God said, I will send them prophets and apostles, some of whom they will kill and persecute, so that the blood of all the prophets shed from the foundation of the world may be charged against this generation." from the blood of Abel to the blood of Zechariah, who perished between the altar and the sanctuary. Yes, I tell you, it will be required of this generation. Woe to you, lawyers, for you have taken away the key of knowledge. You did not enter yourselves, and you hindered those who were entering. As he went away from there, the scribes and the Pharisees began to press him hard and to provoke him to speak about many things, lying in wait for him to catch him in, any, in something he might say. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Jenny. I remember the, uh, the first Sunday that, uh, that the Kennans and the Morrises came to be a part of Oasis Church. Uh, these guys are church planters, and they were doing a great work with uh, Deep Roots Fellowship and, uh, in Winter Haven. And I just remember Mike and Greg coming and saying, you know what, we just, we just feel like the Lord is saying to us to assimilate into ministry and we just feel like that uh, that this is where we're supposed to be and uh, and I remember that that day and I just tell you what I know exactly why God said to them they needed to assimilate because those two families have been such a blessing to us uh, for the for the length that they've been here so we're so thankful for them thank for Janie as well you know when you think about technology Technology, is, it's, it's, you know, it's so rapid. It changes. That's right. Bill got his phone. And by the way, do, do you have our church app, the Oasis Church app? If you don't, then you need to go to the App Store or Google Play, and you need to get Oasis Church, W-H, 
and pull that thing down. It's got all kinds of good information. And, uh, and when we turn around the first of the year, it's going to have even something more helpful to you. So you want to get that on your phone, your tablet, so that you can follow along with what we're doing. Uh, so things happening all the time. Technology is advancing and, and crazy things. I mean, Star Trek things that you used to watch on TV. And it's like, man, wouldn't it be cool if you could just say computer dot to dot to dot? Well, now you can. You just call her Siri or Alexa or whatever. And it's like we're living in that time because it's just so rapid. I'm telling you, though, like my favorite technological advance. Y'all ready? It's, it's still my favorite. Now, my second favorite is the little toaster oven that you can cook the Totino's pizza in. Okay, I like that. We don't have to eat the whole thing up. You get that thing just bang right. My first and absolute favorite technological advance, the dishwasher. The dishwasher. Yeah, listen, I, now, now, me and my boys were talking, it's me and Cade were talking, you know, I was like, I, don't, I, I hate unloading the dishwasher. He says, I hate loading it. I went, we're in good shape. If me and you partner up, you unload it, I'll load it. But be honest with you, I don't like loading it either. But I love the way that the, the dishes can just be just all over the place. And then with just a little bit of effort, and all of a sudden they're being washed, you know, and it's awesome because I hate washing dishes. But I will tell you this. Our dishwasher apparently has a flaw in it because every time we pull out dishes, I'm pulling out cups and the outside of the cup is great. And I look on the inside and there's stuff inside the cup that wasn't in there when we were drinking out of the cup because in that slosh process, which if you, if you step back and think about how your dishes are being washed in the dishwasher with all of that filthy, dirty water, we won't think about that. And it gets stuck, stuff caked over inside. I mean, it, it's so, uh, so common. And you say, well, don't you need to get a dishwasher, new dishwasher? Well, maybe, but here's the thing. You, you let one of those spatulas stop up the, the little swirl mechanism. It doesn't matter if it's brand new. It's going to be nasty on the inside. We've gotten to the place where now I go to the cabinet and I pull out a cup and I'm always looking inside to find if I don't have those little granules or something down in the bottom of it. Why? Because even with the technological advance of the dishwasher, it still leaves junk on the inside. And, and we all know if it ain't clean on the inside, it ain't clean. Doesn't matter what it looks like on the outside. Jesus is encountering opposition on his way to Jerusalem, on his way to the cross. On his way to fulfill the, 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 the purpose of his coming to provide redemption for those of us who need it. And guess who those of us who need it are? All of us. And on his way to Jerusalem, he encounters opposition about where his power comes from. And he's, he's having this, this little standoff, if you will, with those who are rejecting him and accusing him of, of gaining his power to do miracles and to cast out demons from the prince of demons. How ridiculous is that, Jesus says. Well, it's ridiculous. If I'm getting my power from Satan to cast out Satan, that doesn't make any sense. What does make sense, though, is that I'm doing this by the hand of God. I'm doing this as the work of God because this indeed is the work of God. And if that's true, then the kingdom of God has come upon you and you're looking at him. And you're going to have to make a choice. Right now, your choice is whether to receive me or to reject me. To walk in the light that God has turned on and no one can hide. 
or to remain in blindness, to keep your eyes closed and walk in the darkness even though you think you have the light. As Jesus was talking, one of these Pharisees that's present invites him to come to his house, probably for lunch. I think even a few of the, of the translations even say invite him for lunch. Come and dine with me. These are the folks that are opposing Jesus. And I don't know about you, but, but when you have like a inner office turmoil, and you're at odds with someone, right? And they go, hey, you want to go get lunch? You go, no, I've got my lunch. But in the back of your mind, you're like, I wouldn't go with you if it was my last opportunity. You know, that's how we operate, right? But Jesus doesn't do that grudge thing. Jesus doesn't do that thing. He just hears the invitation. Well, Rabbi, come to my house and, and, and let me show you hospitality. And Jesus goes with this one. And it says reclines at the table because they didn't sit at tables like we do. The tables were low to the ground. They would have cushions. And if you were the honored guest, if they didn't have a house full of cushions, you were certainly going to get one on which to lean. And they would basically lie around the table and eat there at about knee height of a, of a table they would eat. And it would be a, a, an enjoyable time. They would spread out everything. We see Jesus interact with this Pharisee because the scripture that was read this morning says Jesus did not do what was common in the Pharisaical tradition. He didn't wash before he ate. Now I know what you're thinking. You're thinking about moms that say, before we eat, go wash your hands. You know why you're telling your kids to go wash your hands, because you know where those hands can go. They might not know where they have been, but you know where they can go. Like, Don't be eating with those hands until you've washed off what's probably on there. That's not what Jesus is refusing to do or what Jesus is not observing. What Jesus is not doing is following the traditions of the Pharisees. Now, in 582, I believe it is, the, the nation of Judah was taken into captivity from, uh, uh, by Babylon and, and was captured for 70 years in Babylon before they were ultimately released by the king of Persia, whose name was Cyrus. And they were released to go back into their homeland, but still under the hand of the Persians. Once the Persians were defeated by the Greeks, then the Israelites were then under the hand of the Greeks until the Greeks were destroyed by the, uh, or, or, or overrun by the Romans, and then the Jews were under the hand of the Romans. So even though they got to go back home, they never really were freed of that opposition until the Romans were wiped out, and then it was kind of under all kinds of crazy control until, you know, we come to the, to the modern times of today. In that time away from the homeland, away from the temple, away from the worship of God as they had been used to doing for centuries, they had to find a way to, to continue the worship of God in a foreign place. And so they asked those teachers of the law, those folks who also were in captivity to Babylon, help us know how are we to continue the worship of God in this foreign land? 
And they begin to codify. Well, we can worship him. We can celebrate certain days, even though we can't be at the temple, even though sacrifices can't be made anymore. Here's some of the things we can do to observe the law and to revere the law, to celebrate God's word and to try to stay connected to him through the ordinances of worship, even though we're far, far away from the land. And so that began to become more and more solidified as a tradition. So when the people were allowed to go back to the homeland and rebuild the temple and rebuild the worship opportunities, what do you think they brought back home with them? Those traditions that were established in a foreign land. Once they were back home, they didn't jettison those traditions. In fact, they built on them more and more and more. And, and this, this, uh, the, the tradition that had been established was lorded over by a group of folks called the Pharisees. And they were the ones that wanted to maintain all of those regulations and in fact got to a place where their tradition and God's word were seen to be hand in hand, both holding the same amount of authority. Now, doing some reading, I learned way more than I really cared about these ceremonial washings, but it was very... uh, drawn out and laborious if you were going to follow the pharisaic tradition to eat like you had to make sure that your hands were washed of whatever was defiled before you picked up the pot and then when you picked up the pot you had to wash your hands in case the pot was defiled and then you could eat the bread when the courses changed you had to wash your hands and they would do it very much like a physician they would bring water from a cistern that they considered to be uh, undefiled and they would bring it to you, you would hold your hands out like this and they would pour the water across your fingers so that it would drain down over the wrist and cover everything. What was that doing? Was that cleaning the hands? Well, mamas, you know, if you just run water over your hands, you're not really handling the germs without soap. So no, it's not really functioning as a hand washing as much as it is a ceremonial cleansing. So when Jesus lays down to, to, or reclines there at the table, this being the home of the Pharisee, they all knew that they were going to follow those traditions, those obligations, those things they saw hand in hand with the law, they were going to follow them as an act of worship. Jesus lays down and they're all passing the water around. They get to Jesus, he's like, no, I'm good. Carry on and move around. And, and the Pharisee in the home was like, I know he did not. I know he did not just use his main course fork to eat his salad of all things. So he was astonished. That Jesus would, and this man is supposed to be some sort of revered teacher, and he is jettisoning the law and traditions? No, he's not doing anything with the law. Because the law doesn't say anything whatsoever about holding your hands out and air drying and don't touch this and please don't touch your head after that. No, it says... Sit down and eat with thanksgiving to the one who gave you. And that ain't talking about the blessing. Because that's one of our traditions that we do. The blessing. But I'm telling you what. 
some families, you put that bite in your mouth, you will swear they think you're going to choke if you don't hold it there before we say the blessing. But that's a tradition. So very much the same, Jesus sits down and starts eating. <gasps> I know. And so Jesus responds. And what I see in this first little section is Jesus and his lesson on dirty dishes. Jesus knows what the man is thinking. Jesus hears the gasp. He hears the astonishment. He feels it. And he begins to teach. Not in an ugly way, but in a very pointed, very direct way. He says, verse 39, You Pharisees cleanse the outside of the cup and the dish. But inside, you are full of greed and wickedness. Now, Jesus is taking something that they took very seriously, and that was you, you don't clean the inside of a utensil before you've thoroughly ceremonially cleaned the outside, because if you don't clean the outside first, it'll defile what's inside. So you clean outside, and then you clean the inside. And Jesus is taking a familiar idea, and he's putting it back on them personally. He's taking a tradition that they're going to do literally with their pots and pans, and he's bringing it into their life and showing them their own personal spiritual condition. He says, you Pharisees are like a pot that's clean on the outside and full of filth on the inside. You ladies know when you pull a pan out and if it's dirty on the inside before you'll cook with it, you'll run it under the water, you'll use a scrubby, you'll do that. You know your husband will take his shirt and try to just scratch off and, you know, it's going to be cooked anyway, right? You know, so, and, and you gasp, oh, you wouldn't. Oh, yes, we will. <laughs> Every last time. But we know that if it's not clean on the inside, it's not clean. And it should be clean. Because if it's not on the inside, what, what good is the outside of the pot being nice and shiny and polished if on the inside there's caked in there the eggs or the grease from the meat that you fried? You go, it's, it's defined. It doesn't matter what it looks like on the outside. The Pharisees were consistently demonstrating on the outside works that not only impressed everybody else but made them feel good about themselves they knew the works they were doing they knew how it looked they knew what it made them seem like and they felt like the more they did on the outside the better they were on the inside and Jesus is saying your inside is full of greed and wickedness now, Jesus is not being mean. He's just being truthful. You see, we think about the most, most righteous, wonderful person we can ever imagine. So who, who, who is that for you? Who, who's the most, like the most innocent, just the, just the most beautiful, loving, kind, just precious? And I'm sure it's going to be a grandmother of some sort. That's just typically what it is. You just think about her. She's just 
purity to God. He's just, he just loves her so much because how great she is or a grandfather or something like Do you realize that they are precious to us because of what they do for us? But apart from Christ, you know what they are on the inside? They're as bad off as anybody you can ever imagine. Now, they may not have committed or acted on the sin that is within them, but they are fully and completely capable of the worst wickedness because that is the condition of their heart. And some of you are going, well, that's my grandmama anyway, but we'll not, we'll not go there. Jesus is showing them not because he's being ugly, but because he says, you think you're righteous. But inside, you're full of filth. No amount of piety, no amount of ritual can cleanse what is dirty and sinful on the inside. He says you give and you do and you make show and everyone thinks you've got it together. But in reality, you're filthy. Jesus said, didn't the same God who made the outside make the inside too? He's not interested in what you're like on the outside if on the inside you're full of death. As he knows if your inside is full of death, then your outside is worthless. Because it's not authentic. It's not true. It's not real. It's just simply a show. And and then Jesus says something that really, uh, I'll be honest, verse number 41, I read a lot of what folks, a lot of folks thought that meant. That's just a hard thing. When he says... But give as alms. Y'all know what alms are. It's when you give like to the poor. You give them of what you have. But give as alms those things that are within. And behold, everything is clean for you. That's that's hard. Even the the structure in the language is hard to understand what Jesus is talking about. But it seems like one of the most uh, logical uh, suggestions is that what Jesus is saying, the alms that you're giving out of your purse with dirty hearts of no effect, it's helping them, but God's not impressed at all. What he would rather see is you giving from the heart. He would rather see what you're doing being motivated by what's in you rather than what you're trying to do to impress. Think on those things first about what's in you rather than what you're doing as a means to impress and as a means to be in a right relationship with God because you'll never do anything that's in the right relationship with God. So Jesus says the lesson from the dirty dishes is if you're clean on the outside but dirty on the inside, you're dirty. But if you're clean on the inside, then those things that are done on the outside are an expression of righteousness rather than the byproduct of wickedness and then he goes and if that wasn't bad enough now that he has everyone's attention he begins to declare six woes he begins to exclaim the woes of religious hypocrisy almost like he's saying well since I have everyone's attention let me just go ahead and tell y'all just a little bit about what you all have going on that's not impressing God at all. And in fact, 
Woe on you, or I pity you if these things are true. If you find yourself in this place, then you are most pitied indeed. Because that makes you a religious hypocrite. Looking the part, but certainly not being the part. Six woes. Woe to you Pharisees, you tie the mint and rue and herb and you neglect justice and the love of God. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. What is Jesus saying? He's saying, woe to you, religious celebrity. Everybody knows that you're a, you're a religious teacher. In our context, it would be, woe to you, Christian. Everybody knows they see the pictures you have in your office. They see the t-shirts you wear, the, the emblems on your car. They see what you post and they see the, the stuff that you do. But woe to you if in reality you've traded empty ritual for genuine character. Because that's what they were doing. They were doing the ritual, but their character was in the toilet. Why? Because they were rejecting the Word of God. They were seeking to destroy the Messiah. And he says, and you've traded character for mere ritual. Woe to you. You should should be ashamed of yourself. Shame on you if this is true about you. Woe to you, Pharisees. You love the best seats in the synagogues and the greetings in the marketplaces. Oh, they love that. They come, come, oh, come sit up front. We've got a space reserved. And they love that. They love the opportunity that they have. Listen, um, I've known some, some pa- pastors in my life that just walk around like what I've heard called banny roosters. You know, they just strut the part and they know, they know who you think they are and they relish in that. <laughs> and they love it up. You know, won't give me the big, biggest piece of chicken and I'll take the biggest piece of chicken. You know, you want me to sit up front? Bless God. He must want me to do that too. So we can all get wrapped up. But what Jesus says is that you're being treated that way because of what they think you are instead of what I know you are. My mother-in-law says at times, I'd like to buy her for what she's worth and sell her for what she thinks she's worth. Let that sink in. I mean, that's pretty funny. You know, it's true sometimes. (laughs) Jesus says, you love that. Why? Because you've traded or you've become consumed with pride and there's not an ounce of humility in you. I mean, you're eat up with pride, but you don't know how to be what you really are. And can we just be honest? Humility is not something any of us are lining up to be marked by, right? I mean, we all like to save face. We all like to be right. We all like to be valued. We really don't want to walk in humility. It's a struggle for us, but you know what Jesus demonstrated for us? divine humility setting aside all that was his rights to in order to become like one of us he shows us what that looks like and he said fella you, you, shame on you you're consumed with pride and you lack humility want to oh i'm sorry verse 44 what are you for you are like unmarked graves people walk over them without knowing it so 
You know, part of the law was that you couldn't touch, you would be ceremonially defiled if you touched a dead body, right? If you came into contact with those things that are associated with, with death, you would become ceremonially unclean. So it was very important for those observing the law, uh, the, the Jews that were trying to be obedient as best they could to what God had given them to do, that they stay away from dead bodies. And so it would be very important if there was a burial plot or if there was a place where a dead body was that you clearly mark that so that folks know to avoid that. But Jesus says you're like unmarked graves. People walking all around you, spending all kinds of time celebrating and wanting to be like and and be accepted by you. And they have no idea that what they're getting from you is defilement. They're being defiled in their thinking about their relationship with the God that they want to worship by just being in your presence. You're like an unmarked grave. Woe to you who look like someone to follow, but your actions actually defile. Then one of the lawyers stood up and he says, well, wait a minute, Lord. I mean, you're, you're really coming down on the Pharisees here. That's, oh, we don't like that. That's, offend, that's offending us as lawyers, the way you're coming down on them. Jesus said, well, since you bring it up, well, I'll tell y'all some things. Lawyer, woe to you, lawyers. Also, verse 46 You load up people with burdens hard to bear, and you yourselves do not touch the burdens with one of your fingers. Now, when I read that, I'll tell you where my mind goes. My mind goes, woe to you, pastor, who asked the congregation to do something you won't do. And and can I tell you something? That is incredibly convicting for me. Because you know who struggles as much as you do to put to practice what God has said? Do you know who has the hardest time actually doing what God said? You know how, who has as hard a time at that as you do? I do. Many, most Mondays are spent remembering the things that that God has used my mouth to tell you to put to practice that I'm going, Lord, how am I going to do this? I know what you said. I know what we need to do. But but I'm just telling you, that's convicting to me. But I don't think that's what Jesus was saying, even though that is a true statement. I don't think that's what he's saying here. As much as he's saying, you are laying burdens on the people that you know that they can't fulfill in the situation that they're in. You're laying it down. You're going to walk with God. You're going to be right with God. You got to this, 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 and this, knowing good and well they can't do that to your satisfaction. And then you sit back and don't offer assistance to them even accomplishing what you've told them to do. You've given them things you know they can't do and you're not even willing to assist them in being what you should want them to be in the presence of God. Shouldn't you want them to be in a place where they can worship God freely and, 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 and with, without any type of shame and, and, and understand what they were laying out many times was not even true, but the things they were saying the people were following. 
And Jesus said, but you won't even lift them a finger because really, at the end of the day, you don't care about the people. You ought to be ashamed of yourselves, religious celebrities. You heap burdens on others without compassion or willingness to help or assist. Verse 47, woe to you. You build the tombs of the prophets whom your fathers killed. Your witnesses, and you consent to the deeds of your fathers, for they killed them. You build up their tombs. Therefore also the wisdom of God said, I'll send them prophets and apostles, some of whom will kill and, and, and persecute, so that the blood of all the prophets shed from the foundation of the world may be charged against this generation, from the blood of Abel to the blood of Zechariah. Now what we don't know is who this Zechariah is. We know who Abel is. We don't know who Zechariah is exactly. Could be the prophet that's, that has the book associated with his name, but we don't know that he was martyred. But there is in Second Chronicles, I believe chapter 20 or 24, there is the account of a Zechariah, who was martyred as a prophet. So it could be that, probably that one. Here's what Jesus is saying. He's like, you ought to be ashamed of yourselves, lawyers, because you are building up the grave sites and celebrating the memory of the prophets that your own people put to death. And they put them to death because they didn't want to hear what God had to say. And so your forefathers, in rejecting the word of God, put the prophets to death. And now you're celebrating their place of memorial, even though you people didn't even want to do what they said. And now guess what you're doing today? You're rejecting one that's far more than a prophet. You're rejecting the direct word of God. And boy, I pity you. Woe to you that have followed in the footsteps of those who celebrated but boldly rejected God's word. And then verse 52, woe to you lawyers. For you've taken away the key of knowledge. You didn't want to enter yourselves, and now you hinder those who are trying to get in. Jesus brings it all the way down to, and, and what you really ought to be ashamed about? You've got the key. If, if you people, lawyers, Pharisees, religious, if you folks would just simply embrace what you know I am clearly demonstrating to be the direct connections of the Old Testament to what was to be done by Messiah, if you guys would just accept what is true and demonstrated, all of these folks would follow your lead. They're following you in bad theology now. If you would embrace the truth and follow me, every one of them would follow you. But not only are you rejecting, but by your rejection, you're locking the door to those who are trying to get in. You know, it's one thing to, um, it's one thing to ignore God's Word yourself. It's an entirely different thing when you, in your place of influence, lead others astray. 
man, that should cause daddy's chills to go up our back. You know, the thought that we could, we could reject Jesus, and that's one thing, or we could, we could just ignore God's word, but that we would be leading our children to do the same. You, you know what it's been said is that, that our worst, as far as the bar of our worst, will likely be the bar of our children's best. And so they'll look at as, as far as we're willing not to go, and that'll be the best they shoot for. Now, by God's grace, that's not always true. That's, not, that's just a proverbial thought, because we know some of us have got kids that have far outshot our character. Praise God. I hope all three of mine outshoot my character. I hope they look at me and say, we can do a lot better than that. And, and then they do, you know, that's what I want. But we have a lot of influence. And Jesus says, I pity you. I pity you because not only have you rejected truth, but you're hindering others from believing. And I hate to be the one giving account for that. But Jesus wasn't closing the door on them. Well, they still had the opportunity to embrace him. Because that's what God's grace looks like. But he was giving them a clear understanding He was speaking to them the clear woes of religious hypocrisy. And then the last couple of verses say as they were going away from there, the Pharisees began to press him hard. See, back in chapter 6, they had already decided they need to find a way to get rid of him. Well, now the press becomes full court. Okay. Jesus has said what he thinks about us, so here's what we're going to do. We are going to open our eyes and our ears, and we're going to listen to everything. Hey. You're with him as long as he's in this area. We'll get somebody else to follow him over there. I want somebody on Jesus all the time because eventually he's going to slip up. And when he slips up, we're going to be right there ready to pounce and be done with him. Little did they know that in eternity past, Jesus had already made up his mind to lay down his life. Having never slipped up, having never given them anything for which to rightly charge them, charge him, he was going to lay down his innocent life in our place and for our sin. But on this day, he was telling them the truth that they needed to hear. And if they would have simply responded, they could have experienced forgiveness. They could have experienced the cleansing of the inside which would then give them the opportunity to do from a motivation of righteousness and to reflect the goodness and character of God. But as it is, the light in them was darkness because they chose to remain blind. You know, there are those that are choosing to remain blind today. That doesn't mean that we skimp on sharing That doesn't mean we look at them and we say, well, you've rejected and you'll never come to Christ. No. We just keep talking about the light. We just just keep inviting them to pull the blindfold. Just pull the blindfold off. You can see. It's bright out here. Now, what you're going to see, you have to deal with. And Jesus shown us how we deal with it. By faith. Trusting in him to make us into a new creation. By his grace, but through Christ's work we continue to share and as we do I want to think about some principles 
that we can walk away from this passage with first being the basic one that is religious activity will never have any effect on one's sinful heart. No amount of quote-unquote Christian deeds will have any effect on your brokenness by sin. They've tried it. It didn't work. People are trying it today, and it'll never work. No amount of good deeds, no amount of prayers prayed, no amount of beads rubbed, no amount of dollars given, no amount of songs sung with hands raised and and excited minds and heart, none of those things, no amount of perfect attendance certificates from church this year. We, We don't have those, by the way. We don't have those. None of that will have any effect on your dirty heart. God alone cleanses us. God alone makes us new. And that only on the basis of faith in the word and work of Jesus Messiah. That cleanses us on the inside that's the gospel that's the message we must both receive and share but because I know a lot of you in here are authentic genuine followers of Jesus let me just remind you of some dangers associated with hidden internal sin you know it's the thing that you were thinking about when we began the sermon Because you thought we were going to talk about hidden sin, but before we got too far, you went, oh, it's the Pharisees. Very cool. I can forget about my sin, except it's still a reality. And it's still dangerous, and it still has an effect on what's going on outside. Hidden sin on the inside of a follower of Jesus is just as rotten as one who's not a follower of Jesus. And it'll hinder the things that we're trying to do for God. We try to perform for Him, and we want the, the, the accolades and the, and the hand claps, and God's like, yeah, I mean, you know, I can see what you're trying to do there, but I'd rather you deal with your pride. What about confessing that as sin? What about your arrogance? Now, that smells pretty bad to me. I know you're singing with all you got. I know you're trying to serve. I know you're trying to, but that arrogance, boy, can't tell you nothing. That really doesn't look anything like Jesus. Humility. He says that prejudice and discrimination, the way the Pharisees and the scribes and the lawyers didn't care about the, the reality of others around them, they saw themselves as here and others as there. He's like, yeah, that's, that's trash in your heart prejudice, any way you draw lines to make yourself come out on the better, well, that's just discrimination. It's ugly and it's sin. Vanity, apathy, disbelief, rejection, hindering the belief of others because what they see in you is not so hidden to them it's hidden to us we don't see it but in that circle it's visible to them i thought you was a christian but if you're if you're christian you can do that well hey 
I guess I'm pretty good. All of those things are filth on the inside. And you know what it needs to, to have done? It needs to be confessed by the believer. It needs to be called what it is. Rottenness. Wickedness. It needs to be repented of, removed, so that we might walk cleaned. A few others that aren't in our passage, angered, hatred, grudges, perversion, deceit, jealousy, envy, bitterness. I don't know what yours is, but chances are great. There's a little bit of egg stuck on the inside of your pan. You know, maybe a little bit of bacon grease that needs God's attention. But God's got something better than a Brillo pad. He, he's got forgiveness and restoration if we'll just turn our pan over to him, turn our pot over to him to be inspected and addressed. And that would be a great thing for us to do as followers of Jesus. I think David said it in this way. Search me, O God. Know my heart. See if there be any wickedness within me. And lead me out of that. Lead me in the way of your righteousness. Cleanse me, O God. Restore me. So what in you needs to be cleaned? What in you needs to be removed? And if you're not a follower of Jesus, what are you trusting in? More than faith in Jesus and Jesus alone because it won't do you any good. But he'll make you new. He'll bring you in the family. And you have a new name before you can get out the building. Amen? Let's stand together. <clears throat> With heads bowed and eyes closed, if you don't know Jesus as your Savior, it's as simple as, God, I know I'm a sinner. Man, I know I'm a sinner. Been running. I've been running. But I just, I believe that Jesus died for me. I believe you raised him from the dead. I believe he's alive right now. And I believe he did that because you love me. And because that was the only hope I had. A righteous sacrifice. Doing what I could never do for myself. I believe you raised him victorious. You showed all of hell and the devil and, and, and all that is opposed to you. You showed them the victorious one. He's my king. God, I want you to save me. Forgive me. Make me new. And then, Christian, if you know Jesus as Savior, you, you know it needs to be cleansed. Just tell him about it. Let him clean you. Walk out of that for his glory. Father, we thank you for today. We thank you for the opportunity that we have to be in your presence. God, we all have, uh, we all have hidden sin that we all need to deal with. And I pray that you'll help us to be honest and vulnerable, humble, allow you to do in us what needs to be done God I pray that, uh, that you'll meet the need of that one that's hurting today the text didn't talk about 
the comfort that we can receive from you when we're hurting and confused. But we can. I pray for that one that's uh, that's just upside down for whatever reason. <clears throat> that you help them find their footing in you. Help them to hear your voice communicating your love and your acceptance. I pray that you will draw the one who is without Jesus to him. That they would surrender, they would receive him by faith. Then God, I pray that you would open our eyes that we might see those opportunities to serve you this week out of a clean heart, motivated by a genuine desire to reflect your love to those that you bring into our circle. We'll look forward to that. God, use us in whatever way you see fit. We love you. We thank you. First in Jesus' name we pray. Everybody said. Amen.